It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Seeking Witchcraft. It's me, your host, Ashley. And today I have on a repeat guest, Angela Z. So thanks so much for coming back on. I'm really excited to chat with you today. Do you want to reintroduce yourself and talk about what we're going to be talking about today? Sure. Thanks for having me back, Ashley. Uh, So my name is Angela Z. I run a gardenerian coven in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, I have been a gardenerian initiate for about 24 years, and I've been running a coven for 19 of those years. Uh, I'm also in the OTO. I love baking. Uh, that's about it about me. Uh, and today we're talking about magical hygiene. Yeah, so thanks so much for coming back. You might recognize Angela from the Thelema. Thelema? I never remember how to say it. Thelema. Thelema. Yes, that episode, which was fantastic. I got a lot of really good comments about that one. Um, so yeah, so you, if you've listened to that episode, you may remember or recognize Angela. But if not... Um, this is Angela, and this is the topic we're going to be talking about. Uh, I was recently with her a couple weeks ago, and uh, Angela, you gave this workshop talk on this topic of magical hygiene, and I remember sitting there taking all these notes and thinking to myself, man, this is such a good topic, especially for people who are just starting out, and even people who are a little bit more in advance in their craft of pointing out the obvious, the obvious about things that they might not have realized themselves um, about certain things. Um So I'm really stoked that we're going to talk about this because all I can think about is how I wanted to share this on the podcast because I think this was such a wealth of knowledge um, and it it was so refreshing to hear about. Thank you. I'm excited to to talk about it with you. This is a topic that um, I cover in the very early stages of Outer Court with my coven. Um, When you get new people in, they're so excited. They want to know, what what should I buy? What should I be doing? What kind of homework are you going to give me? How do I set up my altar? Um, and the first thing I always say is let's back it up. You don't need anything but a magical journal. Um, and before we get into how to do anything, how to do magic, how to do spells, how to do ritual, we need to cover, um, some really, really basic things and get down some vocabulary and get down the ideology of what we're doing. Um, you know, you learn how to read before you jump into all the big books and all the topics you want. So this is sort of, uh, the way that I do that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, as we get more into this, um, there were things that you talked about in this that are things that I remember learning when I was in outer court myself. So there are things that I'm doing, and this sounds so uh, ominous because <laughs> I haven't explained what they are yet, which I will once we get to it in, in this talk, um, that you pointed out certain things about them. And I'm just like, how did I never realize that? How did I never think about it this way? Um, it was right in front of my face. So I think that magical hygiene in general is a really good thing for beginners who, as you mentioned, like they don't need anything, anything to do this. So this is a really good thing to start doing, especially if this is early in your craft to get used to doing this. Cool. All right. So let's jump right in. Um, when someone enters uh, witchcraft, or I would say any occult practice, one of the most important things we need to do is take a look at how we think. Before we do anything else, we need to shift 
how we think about the life we live and the things we interact with. So we're going to go over things like um, cleansing and clearing your spaces, your tools, and yourself. Um, and then everything that we look around, we're going to look at it on three different levels. Um, when it comes to ourselves or the objects we interact with, we're going to look at them on the physical level, on the mental level, and the energetic level. So for example, let's say I've got this cool stick. Um, on the physical level, I can look at the stick and I could say, this stick is pointy, it's dark brown, it doesn't have too many rough edges, there's no green on it, just what does it physically look like? Mentally, I could say to myself, all right, well, this is a willow branch. I know that willow is associated with the moon and the sphere of Yasod, it has great feminine energy. These are all the thoughts I've associated with the stick. And then energetically, I would say, how does this stick feel when I hold it in my hand? What kind of emotions does it bring out of me? Um, can I interact with this stick? Uh, so physical, mental, energetic, every single thing we do in magic, we're gonna hit on those three levels. And I think the hardest thing for a lot of beginners when they come in is viewing yourself as a magical tool. Your mind, your breath, your voice and your body, are the most important magical tools that you have. So you need to learn to think about yourself as a magical tool and thinking about yourself physically, mentally, and energetically and how those different parts of you affect your practice. Um, and I know you had an episode a few, a few uh, weeks back, I guess, on the ritual mindset. And I know you hit a lot of those topics. That was, that was pretty freaking awesome. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And, you know, actually you're, you're talking about viewing yourself as a magical object. And, and I was actually thinking of that episode because, uh, a big point that I tried to make in the ritual mindset episode was about how it's not this crazy outworld, like otherworldly idea to be in a ritual mindset because we're, we're in different mindsets every part of the day. We wear different hats if we're at work, if we're at school, if we're at the gym, if we're with our family, you know? So the idea of being in a ritual mindset, it's very, very possible because we already kind of do that <laughs> in our everyday life. Um, so when you're here talking about being a magical system, you know, viewing yourself as the magical object. That's another thing that I don't know. I, I just kind of felt like it related because I don't want people to think like that's an impossible thing that they can never be that thing that they need all these tools for that, but you don't need any tools. The only magical object you need is yourself. Yeah. You needed for that. Yes. And when you start thinking about yourself that way, um, your magical practice becomes a lot more focused, it becomes a lot more targeted. Um, and I think it becomes easier, quite frankly, because you've got such a firm uh, starting ground. Um, so I talk about magical hygiene a lot in the early phases of the coven and honestly, even through um, later phases. But before you learn any kind of magic, I feel like you need to learn magical hygiene. I define magical hygiene as the regular removal of anything that negatively impacts your magical life, the regular addition of anything that improves or positively impacts your magical life, and the development of triggers and cues that condense and simplify your practice. And so this is an ongoing practice. It's not something that like, I learned how to do magical hygiene and now I'm you know magically hygienic and I'm clean. No, this is something you gotta do forever. Uh, hopefully it gets easier, but um, it's something that you learn how to do and you just keep doing it for the rest of your magical life. And um, some of the things we're gonna talk about that are super important parts of magical hygiene are cleansing and charging and grounding and centering. You know, the idea of talking about doing magical hygiene every day, and that's going to be hopefully a part of your life all the time. It kind of just reminds me of like working out an exercise where you're supposed to be doing that every single day. It's great for you. It's great for your health. You get all these benefits out of it. 
But if you don't exercise every day, you know, you'll still survive, (laughs) but you can see changes in your life. Like maybe it's a little bit harder for you to walk up a hill than it used to be 10 years ago or something. You know, if you're not used to working out those muscles of, of being able to do whatever, just as an example, um, magical hygiene is something that you should get in the practice of doing just like having a healthy lifestyle is something that you should be in the practice of doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. But sometimes it can be harder said than done. It's <laughs> yeah. like all things in life. <laughs> and and so it's harder at certain points in your life than at others. I think we're, as magical people, we are so good at beating ourselves up. You know, any if you take a snapshot at any point in the magical person's life, it could look amazing or wonderful. But that one moment isn't your whole magical life. It's kind of the average of all of those magical moments and mundane moments added up. Yeah, you know, I think everybody's a witch at Halloween. That's when some people are really excited to decorate their altars. And same thing for Yule. There's certain Sabbaths of the year where people are just so active in their practice. But then there's other parts of the year where that might not really be the thing, like Candlemas, for example. Maybe somebody doesn't really care. Maybe Llamas, like, oh, it's a bread holiday, whatever. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna I take mean, you to task on that one. <laughs> I mean, I love llamas for my own personal reasons, but but it, you know, people are more excited and they they might be more active and more um, focused or or more. I don't know. They might do something more during certain times of the year. But same, if we're gonna keep with the healthy lifestyle example, sometimes people think it's easier to do something like that in the beginning of the year, you know, as a New Year's resolution, or maybe when it's summertime and it's nice outside or spring. But, you know, when it's winter and it's like 20 degrees outside, sometimes people just want to stay in their house and eat Christmas cookies and that's okay. Yes, <laughs> yes absolutely. Um, so if we start off with cleansing, um, a vocabulary word that I'm a big fan of is astral residue. So astral residue, think of it as the thoughts and things that get attached to the objects around us. So if we take that example of our stick, And I know how the stick is physically. I know how I think about it. And I know how I feel about it energetically. What if somebody had taken that same stick and and had hit a dog in anger with it? What kind of astral residue do we think would become attached to that stick? Um, And is that a stick that we would want to take and integrate into our magical practice? Um, So when we wanna take outside things and integrate them into our magical life, we do that through cleansing and consecrating. Uh, so I want to take the stick and I want to reset it. I want to create a mental starting point where all of the thoughts associated with that stick no longer count. Um, and I want to develop magical triggers. The, the act of cleansing sometimes is not so much about the object. Well, all right, I'm going to take that back. It is about the object that we're cleansing, but it's also about training our head to think about the object differently. Um, the act of cleansing is a magical trigger for us. It's something that develops energetic skill and discipline. Um, usually when we cleanse things, we use the same process. We use the same words or similar words. Um, so just think about it with any else, anything else in your life that you have a routine for. If it's cleaning your house or going to the gym, you've got that routine of what you do. Oh, it's time to take a shower. It's time to take it, get into my gym clothes. It's time to preheat the oven. There's cues built into our life that, send signals to our head, this is what is happening now. So cleansing is one of those things. It tells us this thing is different. I'm removing the astral residue for it. um, And I'm getting it ready for new astral residue that I'm going to put onto it. Um, Cleansing is also a really good way for us to sort of do a a system check before jumping into any other magical work. 
Um, if we stop and cleanse things, it gives us a chance to sort of check in, think about our process, make sure all of the energies and thoughts are lining up together. Um, and if they're not, then to fix that. Um, cleansing is also a great way to redefine spaces and objects for new uses. Um, so let's say you have a room that used to be your office and it's where you thought about numbers and logistics and you negotiated business meetings and now it's going to be your temple room and you need to have a totally different mindset when you go in there. You know, you've got to cleanse the space and say, okay, all those thoughts associated with the space, they're going to be gone. And we're going to do something different here now. All right. So methods of cleansing. There's many, many ways to cleanse things. Um, and I think you have to sort of figure out what's your go-to method. And then also the, depending on how, how much astral residue there, how funky and grimy it is, you may want to do, you know, more intense methods or elongated methods. Um, a lot of go-to methods that people are probably familiar with or could jump into things like washing or bathing, um, physically getting things clean. Burning is really effective using the element of fire via, you know, incense, saging, asafoetida. Uh, and if you're not familiar with that, it's a bur it's an herb that smells really, really funky when you burn it. it sort of smells like sulfur, scares all the things away. You see it used a lot in exorcisms. Um, <laughs> let's see, sounds. Um, sounds are wonderful. I love auditory triggers and rituals. Um, and if you want to learn more about auditory triggers, research the term knocks and nails. Uh, that's a term that's used in high magic and was used by um, Alistair Crowley and others. Uh, and it just talks about how you can use knocking, clapping, drumming, and bells to signify change in astral residue. I really um, like the the sound as well. Um, I know one of my friends, uh, she's a, a massage therapist, and she does Reiki. And when she's doing massages, she'll do a lot of snapping to kind of clear away energy from the person's body. And also then she'll snap against herself when she's done the session to kind of like clear anything or like cleanse anything that's stuck to her or like kind of, you know, hanging around her. Um, I remember the first time she did that, uh, she gave me a massage. I was just like, what are you doing? <laughs> she just, cause like I, my, my head's down cause she was working on my back and I just hear all this snapping going on and I was so confused. Um, but when she told me about it, I was like, oh my gosh, like that makes a lot of sense. Um, but yeah, so I, I like that a lot. Sometimes when I'm out and about, if I'm just feeling kind of like, eh, I'm not making a big show about it because I'm not trying to draw attention to myself in public, but I'll make like little subtle snaps here and there to kind of like, you know, cleanse anything that might be stuck onto me or kind of like get myself out of like a weird funk and like, okay, like, all right, let's get back to normal, get back to baseline. Um, so I resonate with that a lot. It is incredibly effective. Um, I, I definitely love after doing a really large energetic working, I love doing like a nice strong clap just to sort of um, break that, that mental focus and a sort of redirect, you know, it's, it's a really great symbol that like, all right, now we are finished. Um, and you can also use bells to invoke uh, numeric references or energetic emanations, either, you know, if you're using Kabbalistic references or just other 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 ritual emanations of numbers um it can be incredibly helpful you can think um, of like when people use gongs oh yeah <laughs> before and totally. after something <laughs> totally definitely clears the room with that one definitely um there's you know mental exercises and meditations that can be helped with cleansing um, which we're going to talk about in just a little bit um breath work obviously anything you're doing in magic your breath is going to be the most powerful thing you can tie to it um for me anyway um it's it's a very quick and easy way to get a very strong energetic effect and physical effect out of yourself. 
exposure to nature. That's one I think we all love as witches. You know, sometimes just go for that walk in the woods, put your feet in the sand, go outside and look at the moon. Um, that definitely helps out with cleansing. Um, salt and water, I think we're all very, very familiar with. Um, and the one, the beautiful thing about water, it is just like so absorbing and it does it on so many different levels. I think a lot of people energetically clean when they get into a shower, even if they're not thinking about it. You know, you go there to physically clean, but it's it's where so many of us stop and reset and calm down. It's also, um, I, you know, if, if you're nervous about something or you're feeling like a little unwell, the, one of the first things people do is grab a drink of water where they'll get you a glass of water if you're not feeling right. Um, you know, if you want to call it, you know, that's not a magical way of cleaning, you know, fine, you can call it whatever you'd like. But in magic, yes, water is very much associated with cleansing. And, you know, if sometimes, you know, if you want to think about that next sip of water that you're you're drinking is going to clear out whatever funk you might be in, like, then so be it. Um, I think water is is very <laughs> underrated sometimes. Oh, yeah. How it's used all the time. It's one of those elements that can be used to both cleanse and charge, which is pretty magnificent, just in its own little way. Um, and then sweeping, obviously, you know, your classic cliche besom. I love the besom. I never circle without doing a besom beforehand. Um, my high priestess, she taught me all these wonderful esoteric definitions of besoming. And she said, so when I get to the end of the circle after I besom, I imagine a giant toilet flushing in the room and hear the sound of it going down the drain. And I was just like, well, that will be stuck with me now forever. <laughs> but it is incredibly I effective. It. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I have and a question for you about cleansing. Yes. Ma'am. Do you think that you should cleanse objects every time you go to use them? That depends. Um, it depends on the object. And I think it depends on whether it's something that has or has not been previously consecrated. Oh, we're about to get into that one. Segway. <laughs> <laughs> um, so consecrating, all right, difference between cleansing and consecrating. Cleansing is about how this thing is right now. This is a stick and it's dirty. It's been outside. I need to wash it. And now it's clean. Consecrating is about redefining the purpose of a thing. So this is a stick and it was doing stick stuff, but now it's going to be a wand and it's going to do wand stuff. Um, when you reconsecrate, when you consecrate something, you redefine what it is and you give it a new purpose um, that will help it with its ongoing function. Um, so if I have a wand that I cleansed and I consecrated and it's been in my magical room sitting on the shelf of my books, and I go to use it again. I don't, I don't think I need to use it. I don't think I need to cleanse it. But let's say I take it somewhere. And uh, somebody who I didn't particularly like just like walked right up into my cabin and picked up my wand and started waving it around without asking me first. Oh, we have, have some, some problems. I might have some feelings about that. <laughs> you know, I might want to <laughs> cleanse that afterwards if I think I knew it was. Um, and that's one of the hardest things about magical hygiene as a person that stick is sitting in my magical room um, it's not really coming into contact with anything that i haven't introduced it with in my magical room as people um look, i can cleanse myself today and then i'm going to go out and interact with the world i'm going to see different places different people doing things i'm going to have emotions i'm going to have thoughts at lots of different points in my life i'm going to have completely different astral residue on me depending on where i have physically been um, so cleansing for a person is, is very different 
you know, I'm not going to just put myself on a shelf in my magical room and know that I'm good. So the next time I want to come out and get my witch on. <laughs> well, so question then for you, um, would you consecrate an object or cleanse it first? Or would it I depend? Would, I would always cleanse first. Always, always, always. Um, so, so for me, part of the consecrating process. All right. So when we consecrate, um, we use a systematic process. Um, and we do it sort of the same way every time. So sort of that, again, developing triggers, developing routines. It's not so much about exactly what you're doing as much as the fact that your mind recognizes what you're doing. Um, so a lot of people, they go through using the elements, using special words, using special actions, and a cleansing is always the beginning part of a consecration for me. I never consecrate something without cleansing it first. And as people, when we consecrate ourselves, it's usually through some kind of ritual. So in my tradition, I would say the consecration of a person happens at initiation. Um, but other consecrations we can think of in our more mundane life, think about graduations, weddings. Um, when you redefine something and say, this is a ceremony that going forth, this thing will be different. This person will be different. It can function in a different way. I love that because, you know, sometimes people hear the word consecration and they might think it's this big or I mean, I don't want to say it's not a big ordeal, but that it's this big, you know, magical thing that, you know, sounds so outlandish. But yeah, I mean, using graduation is a great example because, you know, you have your little graduation ceremony and you go from seventh grade to eighth grade and now you're an eighth grader in middle school and then suddenly you're in high school and everything's changed. You know, you went from the top of the food chain in middle school to now the bottom of the food chain in high school. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that's a really great example of that. People get consecrated all the time. They might not realize that's the terminology, but it is happening to them. And it's a ritualized ceremony using the words that have been done to lots of other things. When you hear the graduation song or the bride walking down the aisle song, you know what that is. Your head knows what's happening. Even if nobody else tells that wedding can be in the most obscure, you know, barn or factory or most non-wedding place in the world. And if that song comes on, you're going to know what's going on or the graduation song either way. Even if you're not part of the wedding, you're just across the field and you hear it, you're like, oh, a wedding's happening. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, we condition ourselves in lots of different ways. Whether or not we recognize that we are conditioning ourselves and use it to our advantage um, is really the difference between a witch and a magician and a mundane person who is not actively uh, cultivating the astral residue around them. How about that? <laughs> and if you want to know more about conditioning yourself for magical purposes, listen to the ritual mindset episode because you'll, you'll learn a lot about that there. <laughs> mm -hmm. Indeed. Indeed. So we covered cleansing, consecrating. Uh, the next thing in that step is charging. So charging, um, real simple, how to add power or energy to something to be redirected for another use. So, the example I think that's easiest to understand is when you charge your phone, you don't charge it because you really want that phone to be electric. It's because you want to be able to text people and use the internet and make phone calls. Um, you charge it so you can do other things. Same thing for most ritual objects. Now you might have one particular thing in mind when you charge something, um, but it is a way to give it power for a, for a purpose or many purposes. And there's different ways to charge things. There's there's fast charging and there's accumulated slow charging. So fast charging would be the sort of charging you do 
in a ritual or in a spell. You know, all right, I got this stick, I cleansed it, now it's a wand. It's gonna do wand stuff. And I wanna give it some energy to power it up to do the wand stuff. So I'm gonna dance around it and I'm gonna chant around it and I'm gonna meditate around it. Um, maybe I'm gonna sit it in a circle and I'm gonna drum and I'm gonna hold it up and wave it while I look at the moon. Um, there's lots of different ways to quickly charge a thing. And then slowly charging a thing would be, let's say I take that wand and I use it in every ritual I use for the next 10 years. And that wand slowly accumulates the astral residue of what it feels like to invoke in a circle and what it means to be used as a ritual tool and to be put on the altar. The kind of charging that happens to a wand in that way is going to be a little different. So let me ask you about charging things. So it's about, you know, building energy to redirect it for a specific purpose. Let's say spell work. It's probably the first thing that comes to mind. So what do you think about when people do spell work that let's just say, you know, all it involves is a candle. They say like a little thing and then they, that's it. They're not building energy in any sort of way. They're just kind of lighting the candle and having the candle do all the work. Let's say, do you think that that's an effect? a way that somebody can effectively do spell work? Or do you think that charging uh, is something that they, that should always be done prior to it working? I think it depends very much on the person. So when I, um, I don't really like the term spell work. Um, the term that I usually use is astral blueprinting. Would you say that how, being in a circle as part of the astral and doing things in the astral is a way to affect change in real life? Yes, absolutely. Um, however, I think it goes back to that conditioning. Um, so if you have conditioned your mind to know that when I light a candle, I am drawing up my astral blueprint and I am charging that astral blueprint and I expect to cast that astral blueprint out into the ether and I want to feel that energy emanate and manifest itself on the physical plane. If you exercise your magical muscle, absolutely. If you are in the habit of daydreaming and expecting that your daydreams and your thoughts will never come to fruition, um, then, you know, maybe they won't. I think one of the hardest things for beginners, I hear a lot of people say, oh, my God, I did this circle, but I don't know if it worked. I cast a circle and I don't know if it worked. And it's like, it's the first time you casted a circle. What were you expecting? You know, you're not going to walk into a kitchen and be the iron chef as soon as you buy a knife. You've, you know, magic is very much not a, not a talent. It is a skill. Um, a magical practice takes practice and you have to do it over and over and over again um, in order for it to be effective. Um, and I think that's the hard thing about really good ritual. When you see somebody who really knows what they're doing in ritual, it looks so fucking easy. It looks so easy and it looks so effortless. The same way when somebody's playing an instrument and they really know what they're doing. Um, you don't see those hours of practice that they put in, that it took to get to that point. And when you try to do it, and it doesn't happen, it's very discouraging. Yeah, I think people compare themselves to, you know, the Instagram witches, the TikTok witches, people that they see online, the tweets that they'll read about people's workings coming into fruition and all of these things. But, you know, there's a lot of practice that goes into that. There's a lot of failed attempts that goes into that. You know, I, it was really funny um, for our outer court. I was leading a circle a couple weeks ago and you know, it was myself and my high priest. And we were, you know, we were kind of like in a conversational part of the circle towards the end of it. And we were all just chatting with each other. And at one point I look at my high priest and I'm just like, oh my God. And he's like, what? And I say to him, 
you know, the last time that I led an ice or I'm sorry, an OC, an outer court circle was when I was in outer court and he's like, oh yeah. And I'm like, do you remember what happened in that circle? And he was like, what? Uh, so when I was in outer court, I, we all had to lead a ritual and I, my circle, I had all the best intentions. Everything was great. But then right when I went to go start saying the words, I'd memorize them. And when I went to go around, somebody was like, you don't have the paper to read off of. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I memorized it. And they were like, oh, <laughs> just like that. And that, 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 oh, that was it. <laughs> like the whole <laughs> circle was just, it went so downhill from there. It was an absolute disaster. It was terrible. Terrible. I mean, it was terrible. And, um, you know, I, I was just like, so like, oh my gosh, they're never going to initiate me because my circle was so bad. Like they're never going to want me in their coven. Like I just had a horrible experience. Like I, I'm a terrible person. Like I can't do magic, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it's, I never forgot about that experience because it really stuck with me uh, to this day. And that's, it's been a couple years since that happened, but it wasn't until I had done this IC or OC circle, geez, <laughs> with my HP and realized, oh my God, I just did it. And it went off without a hitch. It was completely fine. And I, I forgot like how much time and practice and effort and energy went into getting to this point where I didn't even think about how the last time I did this in this context was a disaster because I I'd, I'd spent so long having that practice. Um, so yeah, there's definitely something to be said about, about, you know, trying things out and getting used to it. Because when you make those mistakes, you learn, I learned so much from that experience. I really did. Um, and even now, as I mentioned, like looking back on that and seeing that benchmark that I had versus where I am now, I mean, that, that, that's very impactful. And I, in the moment, as much as it sucked and I felt so embarrassed and so overwhelmed and had so much anxiety, I, I look back and I'm kind of happy that I had that experience because I'm like, wow, I've really actually grown. I know a lot more than I, I did back then. So that's just kind of my thoughts on practice and why it's very important. Definitely. You're getting leveling up in your witch world. But I think it's, <laughs> it's definitely super important to build that muscle memory. Um, think about like when you first start driving a car, how nerve wracking it is. And, you know, you don't even want to like reach over and like change the station on the radio. Well, people don't listen to radio anymore, but they don't want to change their music at all. You know, you're it's so nervous. And eventually you get to a point where you can get from point A to point B and be like, well, I didn't really even think about that. I just kind of did it. And um, that's what circles about the ritual. I think the first time when I first started driving for maybe the first month or two, every time I got in the car, I was like, this is the day that I get into a car accident. This is the day it's going to happen to me. But, uh, but then now, uh, now I'm an adult and I used to professionally drive at one point in my life. So I can drive pretty well without ever thinking about it. Sometimes it's scary. I'll be home and I'm like, how did I get here? I don't remember the car ride. Yeah, that's not dangerous at all. <laughs> that's how it goes sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that's not dangerous at all. <laughs> all right. So um, if we get to thinking more about ourselves as a magical tool, and we're a magical tool that moves in and out of different spaces. We have different thoughts. We have different emotions. We put our physical bodies through different things. Um, the most important part of thinking about yourself as a magical tool, treating yourself as a magical tool, um, is how you condition yourself magically and how you do your magical hygiene with your own body. Um, and, you know, we were talking earlier about is it enough to just do the candle spell? Um, it depends. You know, if, if you've conditioned your mind to think that your thoughts and your feelings don't matter and nothing will become of them, then perhaps nothing will. Um, if you've conditioned your mind to think 
and to believe that what I think and what I put my intent towards um, is powerful and will manifest, then uh, over time that becomes your reality. You know, your thoughts become things, definitely. So training yourself as a magical tool, and I tie that very much to leading an enchanted life. Um, when you're a beginner, I think you have two jobs. Your first job is to be magically promiscuous. You need to try out lots of different things to figure out what's going to work. And don't just read about it. Do it. Get into it. Try to figure out what you can figure out. Um, and your second job is to try to lead an enchanted life. Try to lead a life um, and develop practices that enchant the mind, ensnare the senses, uh, do things throughout the day to reset yourself magically. So, you know, we're more complex than spaces or objects. So we need more maintenance than just the things in our lives and that stick becoming a wand. Um, the way that we do that to ourselves is through cleansing, through meditation, through habits and tools that you build into your daily routine and practice that add the positive things, take away the negative things, take away the negative things and condense and concentrate your, your magical processes. Um, okay. So important habits that can be built into your into your magical routine things like shielding so a lot of people use energy bubbles or they use energy mirrors or some people like to envision an energy fountain coming out of the top of their head and running over their body like a cat suit some people imagine walls around themselves some people use objects like hats or sunglasses or gloves as a way to energetically shield themselves they build that shield into those objects so they can physically put it on and off without thinking about it. Um, entryway or transition touch points. Think about when you come into your house, or you're out in the day, you're doing your job, you're going about your life, you're picking up all this astral residue from all the things that you do throughout the day, all the conversations that you have. Do you bring that back into your home? Or do you do something to get rid of it before you walk in? You know, some people like to keep a stone or a dish of salt at the door, or maybe that, you know, cliche rosemary plant that you can pass by on the way in. Do you do something that helps you to alleviate um, and cleanse away some of that astral residue? Do you go straight into the house and wash your hands first thing before you start touching all the things in your home? Um, amulets and talismans, super powerful, used, you know, for many, many years. Uh, remember, Amulets bring, uh, amulets push things away from you. Talismans bring things towards you. One practice that's incredibly powerful for me is daily devotionals. Um, so for me, for something to be integrated most easily, it needs to not involve any physical tools. It has to be something that I can pick up and do no matter where I am, no matter what I'm doing. So I have different devotionals that I do at different points in the day. Um, and I'll, I'll go through and tell you what they are. So the first time I see the sun in the morning, um, I stop. And if I can't stop, I'm driving, I don't stop. And I say, uh, and sometimes I just say it in my head, praise Helios, God of the sun, giver of light and warmth and nourishment. May your rays touch all those that dwell in dark spaces. And that's something I can do on my porch with my arms out in veneration, or I can do it as I'm running from my front door to my car with my keys in my hand. Um, but it's just something that stops and reminds me okay, you know, no matter what I'm doing, there's a point in my life where I can acknowledge the sacred and divine and that I am connected to it. 
another devotional I do every time I see the moon at night. Um, or I'm sorry, the first time I see the moon at night, I stop and I say, um, I draw a little pentagram, sometimes a blow or a kiss, Selene of thy starry night, my goddess fill me with thy light, praises be to thee, sweet lady. And I imagine her light and whatever words of wisdom she has coming and washing over me. Um, and it can be a complicated moment where I'm sitting there thinking about it, or it can be something I can do, you know, while looking out the subway or the L window and just sort of seeing her and acknowledging her as I go about my business. So when I first heard you talking about that at the workshop that you gave a couple weeks ago, I remember sitting there like, oh my gosh, I love that. So I have actually been oh my doing God, that really? every day. <laughs> since, yeah, since that weekend. Um, and I got to tell you, I, I really love it a lot because sometimes, uh, especially if you're feeling burnt out or whatever, it can be hard to think of having a daily devotional practice. I think somebody in Witches Seeking Witchcraft actually asked a question about this, uh, I want to say today or yesterday, about, you know, they are always hearing about how you need to not be an armchair witch and how you need to go out and do that. But they were asking about how to more quote unquote advanced witches or practitioners actually have a, you know, advanced practice where they do something all the time. You know, what does that look like? And I remember looking at that question thinking, you know, it, it's not necessarily like an advanced thing, I would say, but it's more keeping up with a daily habit of, you know, ha- bringing the magic into your life every day in a conscious effort. And you know, having that moment with the moon of like, okay, this is the first time seeing the moon of the, uh, you know, each night, I want to say a little thing to her, acknowledge, you know, the goddess uh, that like represented as the moon. Um, And it's just like a way for me to connect with uh, divinity in that moment. And it's been really, really wholesome. And oh, I really awesome. Like That's so wonderful. <laughs> yeah. That's so great. Yeah. I was like, I have to do this. I love that idea. And every day I'm like, oh, there's the moon. And it's, I get really excited. And, you know, it's something um, that it's so incredibly sweet. simple. You know, my, my son, who's seven, he's been doing that now for a few years. Um, and it's, you know, his, his patron deities are uh, Mama Moon and Mr. Sunshine. And it's, it's a tiny, Aww. and it's, it's something he just picked up by watching me. It's like, like, I didn't teach him how to do it. He just watched me, you know, draw a little star and blow a kiss to the moon but he just thought that's what everybody did um and it's going back for a second to the advanced practice and how you do it every day it when it's a habit it stays a habit and you just I don't even think about it anymore I just do it so um I'm someone who has uh dealt with a lot of mental illness in my life and I can get into phases where I'm not feeling very magical and life is difficult and I'm feeling very skeptical about the gods and I go outside and I begrudgingly look at the moon and whether or not I even want to, I think that thought in my head that I've been thinking every time I see the moon, you know, for freaking 20 years. And it doesn't, you know, your whole heart doesn't have to be into it every single time you do it. But again, it's not about a snapshot of any point in your magical life. It's about the average of your magical life. And those days when you're feeling shitty, and you have something that you can fall back on because you just always did it. You didn't really think about it. That really adds up and makes a difference, at least for me. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely agree with that. Um, I was part of a 30 day ritual um, that you may be familiar with and <laughs> that involves connecting with the deity every day for uh, a month. And, um, you know, there were some days I just really didn't want to do it. I, you know, I had a long day at work. I had a bunch of chores or, or I shouldn't say chores, but like errands during the house. You know, I had things I had to do after work. I was going out with my friends. Like I didn't know when I was going to do it. 
And I made that time every day because I, I said, like, you know, I dedicated myself to doing this and, you know, I don't regret any of the days that I did ritual, even though sometimes I had to pull myself kicking and screaming into that ritual mindset and that space to be able to do what I needed Mm -hmm. to do for the day. It makes such a huge difference. Absolutely. Um, And then my last devotional. So after I I had a baby, um, you know, I was in my late thirties when I had my son and I was very much set in my magical ways. And then suddenly everything about my magical light, just my magical life just got thrown to shit and had to be reset. Um, and there's a lot to be said for tying the magical to the mundane. So again, like the first time you see something or the first time you walk into your door or, you know, I know some people who they tie um, some of their magical things to brushing their teeth or taking a shower, that things that's going to remind you. But I realized that if I didn't tie something into his routine, because my whole routine was about his routine, it was never, ever going to happen. Um, so I came up with something that um, I don't like to use the phrase prayer. Um, so we call it the wishes. So it's just like a little thing that we say every night, um, sort of like as part of our bedtime routine before we're getting tucked into bed. Um, and it's a little longer, but it's kind of like what I if there was anything like, you know, religious wise, I wanted to instill in my child, it was this. Um, and it's may all those who are sad find happiness. May all those who are sick be healed. May all those who are hungry find nourishment. May all those who are lonely and depressed find connection and community. May all those who are suffering find comfort. May all those who are grieving find peace. May all souls feel love and joy. So mo to be. Oh, that's so wholesome. I love that. You know, I was totally burnt out from changing diapers and breastfeeding and having a full-time fucking corporate job. You know, at the end of the night, it could be one moment that I could just stop and just say, okay, let's just think bigger than myself and my world. Um, So that was cool. And now it's something he knows too. So that's cool. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's something to be said about just little devotional practices or just little things that you're doing every day. Um, it really makes all the difference because there's some people who think that if they're going to do some sort of working or some sort of ritual or circle casting or meditation or whatever, that has to be this big ordeal, like all these candles, all these flowers, you know, all the aesthetics that you would see on the internet. And really like some of the best magical experiences I've had have been in such simple spaces where I didn't even have a candle lit, but it was just myself and, you know, communing with the divine or, you know, having a meditation or something so small and so little. Um, and, and I think there's a lot to be said with that, especially as beginners, you feel, you might feel this pressure to have these big ordinate practices and it really does not. Yeah. The hardest part about being a beginner is you don't have any of that slow charging that we talked about. You're starting from zero and it takes you a little while to build that up. Another way to build an enchanted life is to um, create altar space. And this is another area where I feel like people immediately um, make things more complicated than they need to do, than they need to be, and set themselves up for for failure by creating difficulty. Um, so an altar should be something that enchants you. It pulls in different parts of your senses, your physicality, your smell, your thought, your feeling. It should look physically appealing. And whatever, that doesn't necessarily mean aesthetic beauty. But it means something that gives you a visual cue that when you see it, it evokes a type of thought that connects you to the divine or to your practice or whatever it is you're trying to connect to. Um, 
So the way people make altars way too complicated is they try to create an altar that looks like somebody else's altar for somebody else's purpose. And there's lots of different types of altars. There's devotional altars, there's Sabbath altars, there's ritual altars, there's magical altars. Um, and your, your altar doesn't have to be every single type of altar pushed into one. So you don't have to have like quarter candles on your devotional altar. You don't need to have every single working tool. The only thing you need to have on your devotional altar is what's going to make you feel devotional every day. You know, and only you can really determine that. You know, uh, in Thormanu's new book, she talks about, I forgot exactly the the phrasing, but essentially she talks about, you know, if you've had an altar set up for a while or just in general, you have an altar, taking each thing off that altar and seeing what surface or what purpose that it's serving. And when I was reading that, I thought to myself, wow, you know, that's a really good point because my altar setup has more or less looked the same, uh, you know, just like my altar I keep up year round. Um, it's more or less looked the same since when I first got all of my tools. Um, and I started thinking, you know, there's a lot of things on there that like, I don't want to call it clutter, but there's no reason really of why I have this certain object in my altar. It's not serving me. I'm not using it in any magical way. I mean, there's something we said about like, yeah, I like it. Mm -hmm. Like it's pretty, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but like, you know, part of me is like, you know, when I first started, did I get caught up in the aesthetics a little bit where I wanted it to look super pretty and fancy? You know, do I need that anymore? Like, no, I don't think I ever needed that. Um, so it's really made me rethink my my altar layout of what I actually need mm -hmm. on that space. Yeah, that's huge. And I know that chapter you're talking about, she talks about, you know, dust and that kind of thing too, which I'm horrible with. Sometimes I... I have so many like dried flowers on my altar and I just have to stop and think like, hold on a second. What, what energy am I really evoking here? You know, do I need to, every crinkled rose, does it make me think beauty? Some of them, you know, make me think of other things. Yeah. You know, I've had incense dust on my altar before and I thought to myself, well, I don't need to clean it because, you know, it's remnants of this one time that I was burning incense to the gods. So that's the gods incense dust. That's not my incense dust. I don't need to clean that. And then it'll just pile up and pile up. And after a while, I'm like, yeah, mm -hmm. I need to clean that. <laughs> now now it's not the gods and sends dust anymore. Now, it, now it's just yeah. dust in my house. And that's one of those things that I can force myself to do if I'm not having a so great mental health day and I can't bring myself to meditate and I can't bring myself to do anything energetically. Um, at the very least, I can maybe take a couple things off my altar and dust them and put them back. Even if I do it begrudgingly and I curse the gods while I do it. You know, it doesn't take a whole lot of energetic um, effort. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, there is something to be said about cleaning and polishing your altar tools. Uh, I just did that for the first time. Not the first time. I, I have a, a, a cup I use in Ritual and I only use it in Ritual. And I bought it at, you know, an antique shop. And this whole time I thought it was gold. <laughs> and then uh, I had this, um, this, polish for like silver that I use to clean my athame. Uh, you can use it on different like uh, things like that. And I didn't want to use it on my cup because I was like, you know, I'm drinking out of this. I don't know about using this polishing paste. And then I, I was like, you know, let me read it. Turns out I was able to use it on anything so long as I dried it off and washed it after with soap and water. Um, I found out this weekend or not this weekend, I'm sorry, this week that my cup is not gold. It's actually silver. And it was oh, so no. dirty that, that it oh. looked gold. And 
And now I have such a beautiful silver cuff that I can see my reflection in. Um, but there's something to be said, you know, when I was out there cleaning my my cup in my kitchen, you know, I really got into it. I was like all about it because I'm like, you know, this cup is sacred to me. I use it in ritual. You know, I see it all the time. Like I really want to put my energy into it. And I just felt so good, like seeing this nice shiny cup after. I mean, I felt kind of gross that I've been using this cup for a while that, you know, I cleaned it with stuff and water, but like I didn't clean it, clean it with <laughs> polishing things. But, um, but yeah, so sometimes it's good for your mental health and probably your physical Absolutely. health <laughs> to, clean, to clean certain things that you have. Um, take it from me, my firsthand <laughs> experience. Now you know. And everybody that you work with is going to know now to polish their cups. Yep, yep. Now, now everyone's going to know. But you know what? It's kind of like I feel like I have a whole new item. I feel like I'm finally seeing this cup for, for who this <laughs> cup is. Um, and she's beautiful. <laughs> and I'm also grossed out <laughs> by the whole situation. <laughs> but it was also really satisfying. Like, you know, those like power washer videos that you'll see on the internet of people cleaning, you know, the sidewalk or the sides yes. of their house. And like, it just, it was so dirty. And then they watch it get clean. I was kind of yes. doing that. I was so grossed out, but it was so That's satisfying. I feel when I polish my copper. With that exact same feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I did some of that polishing too, and I was I was really getting in there. I was just like, yes, I'm gonna make this so shiny. <laughs> the the last and probably one of the biggest big parts of magical hygiene um, is a term called grounding and centering, um, and this is something a whole lot of people I think are familiar with, um, or at least it's something that they've heard, and grounding and centering for me is a phrase that refers to getting into a state of magical readiness. From being in this state, you can move forward to other magical work or to ritual. Um, and a lot of times success in your magic or in your ritual is strongly affected by your ability to ground and center just prior to beginning. Um, and a lot of people will say that grounding and centering is one thing you do before you do magic. And it's an act, but I don't think of it that way. Um, I think of grounding and centering as an intersection point. It's where your process of magical hygiene intersects with an immediate magical moment. And the two of them come together. Because grounding and centering, how you ground and center and how effective you are at grounding and centering is gonna be completely and totally determined by your prior magical hygiene routine. If you're somebody who's in the habit of meditating, in the habit of cleansing, in the habit of moving energy, in the habit of thinking of your thoughts and your energy as things that are all magical, when you go to ground and center, it's not going to be a huge process. It's going to be something you can just easily snap into. Um, if you aren't doing those things and you go to ground and center, you might have a whole lot of work to do to get yourself to a state of magical readiness. And there's a lot of different methods for grounding and centering. Um, and going back to that concept again of magical promiscuity, uh, the people that work in my group, I require them to learn and explore three different methods of grounding and centering and to sort of play with them and pick one that they like. So those three methods are a basic tree meditation, a simple chakra meditation, and the lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram. Um, so I'm going to really briefly talk about each of these three things. Um, but there's something that they all have in common that I think is really, really important, um, or a few things they all have in common. They each use breath and visualization to achieve that state of readiness. 
And um, if you have control of your breath um, and you can visualize, that's easily halfway to any magical act that you're going to do. So those are two things you really need to get down. Um, they can be used daily as part of an energetic routine, or they can use, be used as preparation for ritual and magical work. They can function either way. They each focus on balancing energetic motion. They each uh, have a lot of, <clears throat> sorry, they each focus on balance. Um, they each have energetic motion, not just stagnant energy, and they each connect one's energy to a larger system. None of them require any physical tools, um, which I think is incredibly important for a beginner. I think it's incredibly important to know that you can work magic without anything. You don't have to buy anything. You don't have to um, create a particularly beautiful look. You don't have to um, go through all those correspondences that so many people waste so much time on in the beginning. Um, all, all you really, really, really need is your own body. Tools, and I don't want to say that tools aren't important. Tools are wonderful. Tools are important. Tools can create wonderful triggers for your magical life. But I had a high priestess who would say, um, tools are like Dumbo's magic feather. You know, you can use any version of the magic feather you want. It's great, but you need to remember to let go of it sooner or later. And if in the beginning, you know that you can accomplish things magically without those tools, I think it's easier later on um, to do it without them as well. I love that. You know, there's been um, times where I've gone out of state and I have guested in other circles and I haven't had any tools with me at, you know, at a base level, I didn't have my athame with me. And, you know, there's ways around that um, just using your yourself. But, you know, I will admit that I was so conditioned to using my ritual tools, my athame that I felt kind of weird. And I was just like, Oh gosh, like, I don't know. It feels weird. And, and it, you know, in that moment, you kind of want to take a step back and remind yourself, like you are the tool, you're all that you need. And, you know, in that circle, I was circle went great. We had a great time. I was able to do everything I needed to do, um, and, and enjoyed myself. But yeah, I mean, sometimes you can have a tool as a crutch and it's important to know that, you know, you are the tool, you're all that you need and, you know, you don't need to use certain things because yeah. um, it's not necessary. Makes it easier. Makes it a lot easier. I will say that. But oh yeah, the the magic feather and the magic words—they're important because they give you courage. They give you courage and they give you permission. Me standing up, waving at the east, telling it what to do, might feel really funny. You know, having that knife to sort of, you know, direct my energy and point it and say, "Hey, you know, this is me over here doing my witch shit." I expect you to listen. Um, it makes it definitely makes it a little easier, but. After a while, once you have the relationship with the beings in those quarters, and you can just stand up and just be like, hey, it's me. We're doing the witch shit. You've, get, you've given yourself permission. You know it works. Those tools help you get there. Does that make sense? Cool. Yeah, definitely. All right. So three methods I'm going to run through right quick. I ask people to figure out what works for them. First method, basic tree meditation. Um, there's lots of different ways to do this out there. I'm sure many people are familiar with it. You visualize. Uh, yourself being connected to the earth and the sky like you're a tree and you raise energy within you and you imagine the energies from the sky and the energy from your roots being coming up and combining um, pros and cons to this method it's great for connecting energetically to the larger world it's literally what you're doing um, it can be easily combined with other methods because it's so quick um, there's no spoken words or memorization 
Um, so it's something you can do without thinking, am I doing this right? You know what a tree looks like. It's very easy to hold an image of a tree in your head. Um, so it's very easily accomplished by most people. Uh, the cons to that method, it's great for individual use, but it doesn't do anything for the space around you. Um, you're going to still have to cleanse that room after you do that tree meditation. Um, and it's great for charging and for centering, but not so much for cleansing yourself unless you're also envisioning that your roots are taking away um, the yuck, the magical gunk from you and shoving those down into the earth as well. But a lot of times people don't keep that that image in their head when they're doing the tree meditation. Okay. So when I was being super ominous at the beginning of the episode where I was like, I didn't even realize, I was specifically thinking about this tree meditation um, because yeah, I've done the tree meditation many, many, many times. I've helped walk people through how to do it. Uh, I've explained it before. And I was always saying like, yeah, it's great. You know, it's great for yourself. It's great. You know, you, as Angela, as you said, you know, you can connect energetically with the larger world, but I didn't even consider the space around me. <laughs> that was not even a, a single thought in my mind. And once you pointed this out, uh, when you did this workshop, for the, like when I heard it for the first time, I was just like, oh my. And I was just like, wow, I can't believe I didn't consider this. Mm-hmm. It's a big thing. That goes back to that idea of you got to play with different methods and see how um, how they affect you, you know, and compare and contrast and combine and put together your little magical toolbox, figure out what works for you. So the next one um, is a very simple chakra meditation. Um, and I'm going to give you, this is definitely like the basic bitch version of a chakra meditation, just to be clear. And do a visual a visualization where we move energy through the seven chakras to activate them, to cleanse them. Um, and the pros for this method is that it can cleanse and charge at the same time. You can do it simultaneously by moving through those energy centers. Um, it's great for pinpointing specific areas of yourself that need attention. It can be accomplished very, very quickly with practice. And it can be tied into a deeper meditation or a yoga practice if you're someone that's really into that. There's lots of different methods for activating the chakras. And I think my favorite one um, that I've ever used is to imagine um, a mouse cursor like you would use on your laptop, double clicking at each chakra. Um, that's something that we're, again, find something that is already ingrained in you. You know what happens when you double click on something. So when you're visualizing your chakras, imagine that and just see what happens cons for this particular meditation again good for personal work but not so much for the space around you unless you're building in other methods of chakra and meditation work um, it's very internally focused so connecting to the outside world is not quite as clear as with the tree meditation um, and then some really struggle to remember uh, the correspondences of the meanings and colors and for some people that can be a real um, a hindrance when they're trying to learn this method but I, I definitely recommend that everybody jump in and at least try it. Um, when learning about chakras, I tell people to figure out a method for learning more about chakras that's going to um, really resonate with them and speak to them. So if you're looking for a very Western approach to chakras with basic exercises that's written for Americans and um, people who can people who want to get into the chakras, but maybe aren't ready for like a very, very deep dive into authentic Eastern work with them. I recommend the book, The Seven Fold Journey by Nodia Judith and Celine Vega. That one's really wonderful, easy to read, simple, great exercises. Um, and if you're looking for something that's way more authentic 
um, to an Eastern approach with a deep exploration of each chakra, um, both you know beginner and advanced exercises. Kundalini Yoga for the West by Swami Sivananda. Uh, give that one a go. And there's also some wonderful podcasts out there. Um, I love the Occult London podcast. They do some great episodes on chakras. Um, it can be hard to look for websites when it comes to chakra work because you're going to find so many websites that are just trying to sell you shit. One that I found that really doesn't suck that I'm fond of um, is yogajournal.com. Uh, they've got some great explanations, poses, uh, great stuff for beginners and they're not just throwing commercials at you the entire time, which I enjoy. And the very last method that I make people experiment with um, is the LDRP, the Lesser Banishing Ritual of the Pentagram. And some people feel, all right, so the LDRP is a short high magic ritual. Um, it includes visualization where we create sacred space and connect to a larger universe. We can do an entire episode on the LDRP. Um, I'm so I'm, I'm very, very, very briefly going to tell you what it's about. Um, but if your listeners want to get more into this, there are so many reasons out, out there for them to do it. Um, the pros of the LBRP, it is highly effective for clearing both the person and the space around them. It can be simplified and adapted for personal use once you know the basic system. And it incorporates spoken words and intonations that can be really effective means of charging for some practitioners. So the LBRP has spoken words, so those words of power. If you're someone who really appreciates the magic of the voice and the idea of the throat combining the energy of the, the head, which is all about connecting to divinity and the energy of the lower body, which is all about manifesting and manipulating the physical plane, the voice is kind of the bridge between those two things. Um, so that can be very highly effective and simple. Um, cons to the LBRP. The base ritual contains Hebrew names of gods and angels that can definitely be stumbling blocks for some people. Um, a lot of people will not play with this ritual, or a lot of witches will not play with this ritual because they see that and they're just like, ooh, I've had enough of that in, you know, in my life and I'm trying to stay away from that. Uh, and I definitely get it. I definitely get those feelings. Um, but in talking about grounding and centering, I would be doing you a huge disservice. And I would be doing the people in my coven a huge disservice if I did not make them learn this ritual and experiment with it to at least see what it's about and to see if they like it. It's also a longer process. So you either have to memorize it or you have to have note cards um, until you really get the technique down. The, the two-minute basic bitch version of the LBRP is you are doing a visualization where you are imagining yourself connected to all of the overpowering gods above you and the divinity of the world below you and the energies around you are being called in. You're at the center of it. You're all equal. There's balance. You have, you have a place in the larger universe. You have an orbit just like a planet. You have a space where you are a constant and you can manipulate and call upon some of the most powerful energies in the universe to work with you in harmony. That's, that's a two-minute basic bitch version. You can find out so, so, so much more about the LBRP. Um, and my favorite source for learning about the LBRP is a gentleman by the name of Damien Eccles. And he has a book out called High Magic that is positively wonderful. Um, I recommend it to everybody in my coven. Um, and if you get the audio version, you can have the LBRP explained to you by a man with a southern drawl. So that's wonderful. He's got a Kentucky train to him. 
Um, actually, it's, it's, it's actually not a Kentucky twang. It just sounds to me like a Kentucky twang. Um, and he's got a great YouTube channel and he's on Spotify. Um, and if you want something that's less ceremonial, uh, there's a, a YouTube channel out there called Blade and Broom. And they have an episode called LBRP for Witches that is really, really wonderful and goes um, into some serious depth about the LBRP and how it can be adapted for people um, who want it to feel more like a, a witchy practice than a high magic practice. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, th- thank you so much for talking about the LBRP. Um, I was reading Modern Magic by Donald Michael Craig, um, oh, or DMK, some people call him. And um, it's this book about these lessons and, uh, you know, about high magic. And it talks a lot about the Kabbalah and there's a lot of, um, a lot of information in that book. It's a, it's a very, very big book. It's, it's pretty much a textbook. I'll put it that way. And one of the very first things that he teaches you to do, cause there's exercises that you go along with this book. And some people will spend a year or two going through the things in this book. Um, one of the very first things is the LBRP. So I was reading this book with a group of people. So that way we kind of kept ourselves motivated and actually (laughs) did it. (laughs) And uh, he wanted you to do the LBRP every single day uh, from that point on until, you know, it's (laughs) supposedly forever, but, you know, until you finish the book. And so I, it took me about, I want to say two weeks or so to actually learn the LBRP. Uh, You know, Angela's right that when you're first learning how to do it, there's a couple of things. The first is that it's very clunky when you're first learning because you feel weird that you kind of have to keep opening your eyes and looking at these note cards and making sure you're doing things correctly. Especially for me too, my big thing was getting the words down pat and then kind of adding in the hand motions that go along with it um, once I felt comfortable enough uh, because there's a lot of moving pieces. Um, The second part is, yeah, it can feel really Christian in a way, because you are saying the Hebrew names of God, you know, you're calling on the archangels, you're, yeah, you're saying amen at one point, you know, depending on the version that you're reading of, of what the actual words are. Um, yeah, it, it, it feels very religious and not in the religion, you know, not in like the pagan <laughs> religious form, I should say, more of like Christianity um, or Jewish mysticism, I should say, if that's the correct phrasing of it, which I'm not completely sure, but, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so that was a little bit of a hang up for me, but you know, LBRP, it gets so many people recommend doing it. So I decided to try it out and just kind of go with it. And let me tell you, even though my first couple of times I did it was so, you know, clunky, uh, it was awesome. Like it really made a hell of a difference. And this was before I even used like my full voice because I live in an apartment and I'm not trying to have my neighbors completely hate me. I wonder what the hell I'm doing here. Um, so I, I would recommend it. Like, yeah, it, it's going to look kind of weird. It's going to potentially feel very, you know, religious to you. It's going to feel a little clunky when you're first getting started, but I really felt a hell of a difference before and after doing that ritual. And, um, you know, it, it's actually really great because it's one of those things that now that I have it memorized and I know it down pat, like I have that with me forever. And if I'm ever in a situation where I just feel like things are off, you know, I, for example, I was part of a multi-day ritual where I was working with, um, a goddess who deals a lot with like death and the underworld. And some of those workings that I did with her rituals or experiences I had felt really heavy afterwards. And, one time after one of my rituals, you know, 
things were happening in my apartment, like doors were slamming on their own, which scared the shit out of me. <laughs> and let me tell you, it was really nice to just know that there was a ritual I could do. It took two minutes. I didn't need anything. I was able to just do the whole LVRP right there in my bedroom. And everything just felt like the, the energy shifted. Everything felt better, felt lighter. I felt more secure. I felt more at ease. And that was great being able to have that in my toolbox to be able to access whenever I need it. So I highly recommend learning the LBRP, just spend some time memorizing it, getting it down pat. And yeah, 10 out yeah, of 10 recommend. It surprises a lot of people because they look at it and they go, mm, no, don't think so. Um, but they try it out and they're like, oh shit, you know, that's, that's, that's amazing and wonderful. And I love it because it really teaches you to use your voice as a magical tool. It, you know, shows you the power of magic words and to not just say an invocation, but to learn how to intone an, in, an, an invocation, to learn how to vibrate a name with energy. Um, and that's incredibly powerful. Oh, my God, that could be a whole episode yeah. right then and there. <laughs> just talking about using your voice and really putting yourself, you know, putting your energy and and everything you have into what you're saying in ritual Cause that could be really hard for some mm -hmm. people, you know, especially if you're living with other people, you know, a significant other spouse, kids, roommates, parents, what have you, even if for myself, I'm in an apartment, you know, one bedroom, I don't have anyone else here, but the cats. And I still am, you know, a little self-conscious of, Oh my gosh, can my neighbors hear me through the wall? What's happening? Like, I don't want to be too loud. You know, meanwhile, I live in an apartment that was built like, pretty new. So the, the soundproofing isn't bad. Like it's pretty good here, but you still, there, there's still that hang up of using your voice fully in a ritual and, um, you know, throw back to what we were talking a couple minutes ago. It is so important to practice and practice and practice doing rituals, doing circles, getting into this mindset, um, and getting used to these spaces because it gets so yes. much easier. Um, you have to, you have to stumble a couple of times yeah, before and, you walk and in. have different tools in your toolbox. So, you know, each one of these methods, they're very, very different. They're going to appeal to different people, but they're each going to help you visualize, help you breathe, help you move energy and nourish your energetic body. Um, and you might want to combine them at certain points or choose this is the time for one, this is the time for others, but practice. Magic is a skill, not a talent. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's always more to know, more to learn. You know, as I mentioned, I'm I'm going through Modern Magic with DMK. It talks a lot about the Kabbalah. It's how I learned about LBRP. I still have a lot more to go through that book, mm -hmm. a lot more to learn. That's so. for damn sure. <laughs> I know there's so, oh my gosh, yeah, there's so much about that topic I don't know. And and it's great to have a group of, of friends who to go along with it to uh, really bounce ideas off of and learn. But that's kind of getting a sidetrack. So I yeah, it, there's, there's, it never, ever, ever stops. I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with like classical magic right now. And I don't mean classical in like a historical sense. I mean, in like a cliche sense. So I've been thinking about the idea of the genie in the bottle. And like, what if at the beginning of every ritual I did, I opened a jar. And at the end of the ritual, I imagine oh. sucking that whole circle in a jar. If I did that for a year, at the end of that year, if I opened the jar, would I condense that feeling of ritual? And like, what would that be like? And yeah, it, it never stops. You're just Ooh. constantly giving yourself more work. <laughs> That's a really cool hypothesis. I'd love to hear that, how that turns out of you to doing know. it. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, actually, on another point, uh, I do want to mention that 
I think sometimes people are scared to say certain things on the internet because they're scared of people. Uh, I don't want to say cancel culture. It's not really where I'm going with this, but they're scared of people being like, no, 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 you don't understand or no, that's wrong. Or like, you know, how could you ask such a dumb question? Or you clearly don't understand, you know, what, what I was talking about earlier, like Jewish mysticism, for example, you know, I will sit here and completely admit that there's so much that I do not know, but I'm not necessarily scared, I guess. I don't know if that's the right word to talk about it because it's, I know that like I'm learning more about it. And every day as I read more and I practice more and, and I talk to people who are involved with this, um, I shouldn't say Jewish, I should say specifically what I'm learning about in Modern Magic by DMK <laughs> to be more appropriate. Um, but I know that like it's, it's a learning process. And I just want to say to beginners, don't be scared to ask the stupid questions because I ended up joining a coven because I posted a cloud picture in a beginner witchcraft group. True story. <laughs> So this podcast came out of me being one of those people posting a dumb picture. I mean, I thought it was dumb. I purposely thought it was dumb. That's why I put it in a group and not on my walks. I didn't want my friends laughing. <laughs> <laughs> putting a dumb picture in one of those beginner groups. So, you know, I don't think there's any dumb questions. I think we're all learning and it's okay. And don't feel shame to ask those questions because that's how you learn. Absolutely. And, you learn. and so much of the occult community, especially on the internet, can really be very much like the emperor's new clothes. Everybody recommends a book because everybody recommends a book. Everybody says something is great because everybody says something is great. doesn't mean it is. You know, popularity does not translate to effectiveness. And it's okay to jump in and say, you know what? I need to fuck around and find out for myself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's also why people say read the bad books too. Mm -hmm. Do your own opinion yep. on them. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Angela, for talking about this topic. I'm so stoked we got to record this. Um, I think this is going to be really helpful to a lot of people. Um, and honestly, even sitting here listening to it again myself, like it, it's so nice having this refresher, even though I just heard you say this in person. Thank you so much so. for inviting me here to do this and for listening to me ramble for like ever now. I feel like I've been talking your ear off. Good gravy. <laughs> oh, no, no. Um, Oh, I'm going to spring a question on you. I did it the last time. If you had one piece of advice for beginners, be magically you promiscuous. Get in there and find out. I love it. Yep. Fuck around and find out. <laughs> All righty. Well, Angela, how could people find you if they're looking for you uh, on the social best media? Way is probably to find me on Twitter. I am at Witchy Spice. Um, I'll stop there. <laughs> okay. You don't want to talk about uh, the well, other okay. thing? I just joined TikTok. Um, literally like just joined TikTok. Haven't posted anything yet. I'm thinking about just posting magical definitions and exercises. Um, I don't know if the cool kids will be into that though. We'll see. I mean, I'd be into that personally. <laughs> Could use a good vocab You may lesson. be able to find me there. It's uh, Angela Star Z. All right. Well, cool. Well, um, as always, you can find me pretty much anywhere you look up the word seeking witchcraft. <laughs> I'm on Twitter at seek witchcraft, Instagram at seeking witchcraft. Facebook is seeking witchcraft podcast. Uh, there's a Facebook group where you can ask the dumb questions. It is okay. It's called witches seeking witchcraft. Please answer the questions though, to join the group. If you don't answer them, we will deny you. <laughs> and uh, I have a Patreon as well. It's patreon.com slash seeking witchcraft. And shout out to all the people on my Patreon. You guys are amazing. Thank you for supporting the show. I really appreciate it. Um, fun fact, when we talked about Thor Mooney's book earlier in this episode, we are actually reading that right now as the book club for the Patreon. So um, that's why I was up to date Woo! with it. 
<laughs> Otherwise, I might be procrastinating. Highly recommend her YouTube channel and her book. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, okay. All right. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. I hope you were able to pull some really good ideas and, you know, educational things out of this episode, which I'm sure you were able to because Angela is amazing as a teacher and a witch. And this presentation is fantastic. Um, but yeah, I hope you all have a good day or night or whenever you're listening to this. And we'll talk to you all soon. Bye. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.